In the middle of the night, I woke, which isn't an unusual thing, but I felt God start speaking something to share with you today. And I've got something I'm going to bring, but I feel that God wanted to do something right at the start. And in many ways, a lot of it has already been shared, but it is about the Father's love. And it's this. Right at the start of Jesus' ministry, after his baptism, and the Spirit of God falls on him, the Father speaks from heaven. The audible voice of the Father is heard. Now you would think, now hold on a second, here you've got Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, and suddenly now the Father from the throne room of heaven is going to speak to him. This is going to be some awesome revelation that is going to be, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And what's he say? In essence, oh, my boy, I love you. I'm pleased with you. At the start of his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, Mount of Transfiguration, There's Jesus, and again, the Father from heaven comes and speaks. The great revelation is going to come down. What is it? Oh, my boy, I love you. I'm pleased with you. And near the end of Jesus' ministry, in the last week, the Father again speaks. My boy, my boy, I love you. I'm pleased with you. Jesus needed to hear his father say, I love you. Now, one of the things we're going to look at in a minute is spirit-empowered mission requires spirit-filled witnesses. Jesus was the first spirit-filled witness of the new covenant. He modeled something. So we've just celebrated his death and resurrection because that is so important and so key to us. But actually, the whole of Jesus' life is important. He was modeling to his disciples a way of living. The astonishing thing is this. When Jesus spoke the world into being, he knew that he was going to have to lay aside his majesty one day and come and be part of that world to rescue us. What a saviour. What an amazing saviour. He knew, I'm going to have to go down there. I'm creating it right now, but I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go and be part of that. I'm going to have to go and learn and be taught by those I'm creating. I'm going to have to do it. But yet he does it. And then when he's born, he's always fully God, but he chooses not to play the God card. He chooses not to play the God card while he's on earth because he's coming to model something for us. So what happens? At his baptism, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he hears the Father say, I love you. And the rest of his ministry is based on this. He's full of the Holy Spirit, seeing what the Father's doing and doing the business. And he's modeling to his disciples, guys, this is how you do it. But the Father said to him at the start of his ministry, I love you. I'm pleased with you. Now, I don't know about you, But if I've got a task to do, I want to get it done. I've got a bit of a tendency. I've now been banned from electrics and plumbing in our house. Liz will not let me do it because I like to try and fix things. If there's a problem, I'll try and sort it. I'll get there. I'll sort it. You know, and I find even pastoral things. Oh, I'll try and sort it. And you think, hold on a second, I'm not very good at this, but I'll I'll have a go. Jesus has got a ministry. His ministry is to rescue the whole world. He's remarkably, remarkably relaxed about it, isn't he? You know, 
His whole purpose had been here is to rescue the world. He spends 30 years doing carpentry. You know, people saying, what was your purpose in life? Well, I'm going to rescue the world. But in the meantime, Mrs. Abraham needs some chairs. You know, he's just incredibly relaxed. I heard someone say recently, the only person who's ever lived who didn't have a Messiah complex was the Messiah. He just, he was there. He had remarkable peace. Why? Because he knew he was loved by the Father. Even when he starts his ministry, he's got time for picnics, time for boat trips, time for time on his own. He's not there thinking, right, go get everything. Go, go, go. He's just at peace. Because he knows he's loved by the Father and the Father's pleased with him. You know, Father's Day, it's funny, isn't it? At different stages of your life, it means different things. So, you know, when, uh, I, when we were going through the miscarriages, I'm going through we went for a period of time, of, it, there was a pain of Father's Day. The pain of I'm not one. And then we had children and the delight of this. And now, in the last two years ago, my father went to glory. And so now there's this element of, I miss him. You know, when Wales won the Grand Slam, oh, I had tickets, I was there. Wales Island, it was fantastic. I came out, what's one of the first things I wanted to do? I wanted to bring my dad. Because we've got that relationship, had that contact. But do you know what this Father's Day is all about? It's to you to hear the Father say that he loves you. That he loves you. So, oh, it's all right. And Jesus says that to Jesus. Yeah, and where are you right now? You're in Christ. You're in Christ. So what he says to the son there at the start of his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, he says to you today. And I just felt almost that for some of you, you need to hear that. You can't please God anymore. You know, you can't try and make yourself more pleasurable to God because he sees Christ in you. And he says, oh, do you know what? He's wonderful. I love him. He's my boy. And you're now standing there. You are loved by the Father. But Jesus models this incredible ministry to his disciples. He's modeling all the time. This is what a spirit-filled life is like. So he's taking hold of these people and saying, look, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. This is what it's like. And so they see Jesus reflecting this life. And in the same way, when you then look at the early church, you see them ministering like Jesus. Spirit-empowered mission requires spirit-empowered witnesses. I love the fact that our faith is based on continually being given things we can't do. Have you ever noticed that? You know, actually, hey, we're going to get saved. How are you going to get saved? Well, you start by saying, I can't do it. I love it. Christianity is the most humbling of all the faiths. No, we were on holiday in Turkey once, and and uh, at the end of the, the time there, the owner of a restaurant came and sat with us and said, I don't believe you guys are British. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, he says, you've got five children. No Brit has five children. They have two. I said, no, no. Said, and you, you all like each other. No. And Janet, you're thinking, oh, this is really, really embarrassing going on. And then he turns and says, and you, you haggle like a Turk. <laughs> and I said, oh, nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. And then he says this. He says, and, and you're, you're Christians. I said, yes. He said, do you really know you're going to see your God? I said, yeah, I do. He said, why? Because Jesus has already pleased him. Jesus has already paid the penalty. 
I know. And he looked at me and said, I'm a good Muslim. I pray, I fast, I do everything. I do not know I'm going to see God. What a privilege to be in the faith where we know we're going to see our Father. What a privilege to be in the position where we can know that hope and that certainty. We can know it for a fact. We know it. And so our whole faith is based on this. We started it by saying, I can't please God. I can't do it. So therefore, Lord, forgive me. And then you stand and say, now in Christ, I'm pleasing to God. And then Jesus gave the Great Commission. I love it. We talk about the, you know, Jesus entering heaven. And we talk, no, Jesus entering Jerusalem and Palm Sunday. We don't often talk about his exit. You know, they are the ascension of Jesus. It must have been amazing. They're standing there and Jesus gives the disciples a commission. Go to all the world, baptizing them and teach them and all that I've given you. Go and make disciples. Go. He gives this incredible commission that they can't fulfill. What they can do is go and sit in an upper room and wait. <laughs> and then empowered by the Spirit, they go for it. They're empowered and they come out and they start to model the life that was modeled to them. Spirit-filled witnesses. I read an article recently and it was um, a slightly patronizing article. It was all about Brexit. But it was kind of, uh, it was talking about how people misread society. And it talked about the anywheres and the somewheres. And basically said that the anywheres are people who have moved, left home, uh, maybe for education or for work, but could live anywhere in the world. They kind of don't have any particular place that they feel is home. They're, they're just anywhere. They're here for a season. They could be gone in a little while. And he said, and then there's the somewheres. The somewheres are people who haven't really ever moved. Their aunt and uncles live around the corner. The family's all there. They've been in this place for generation upon generations. They're the somewheres. And he said, 20% of the population is anywheres. 50% of the population are somewheres. Now, this is the interesting thing. As you start thinking about that, I realize most church plants that are done gather the anywheres. So in Cardiff right now, there have been 16 church plants in the last two years in one area of Cardiff, right by the students. 16 churches, all planting to gather the anywheres. And Holy Trinity Brompton are about church plant in that area as well. And they'll turn up with a big hoover and go, you know, actually, it's because we want the anywheres. But do you know what the biggest challenge is this? Is how we reach the somewheres. And actually, the biggest challenge I find is when I'm in the valleys of Wales is it's full of the somewheres. The people we're working with have always been there. You know, when I first moved to Ridvelin, I kind of went down to the shops and this lady in her 30s said, oh, where have you moved from? I said, Cardiff. She goes, oh, I've never been to Cardiff. It's 10 minutes down the road. <laughs> you see, there, think, this is bonkers. You know, here there's somewhere. And what you as a church, and please say this, right? What you as a church, the call of you is to gather the anywheres and the somewheres. And do you know what is so exciting is this? When a somewhere meets Jesus, they become an anywhere. You think of Peter. His plan probably was, I'm going to fish the Sea of Galilee for the rest of my life. I'm going to be here and do this and I'm going to be good at it. I'll moan about it, but I'll be good at it. And then he meets Jesus, and the next thing, the world is his. It's amazing. I find it so exciting. I love the fact that in Ridvelin, where we're working, 
that I kind of sit and we're working with some of these kids and they've got nothing. They've never left that community. We're taking 10 of them down to New Day and they're kind of like terrified of crossing the bridge. You know, it's like, oh, what's it going to be like in England? Oh, there's, there's giants over there, I tell you. Oh, be fearful. You know. And it is hilarious. But do you know what I find so exciting is this. As we take the gospel out, I know these guys are going to have to get passports. Because by meeting Jesus, not only are they going to go to England, they might go to India. They might go to Germany. They might go anywhere. Because that's the kingdom of God. But how do we reach the somewheres? Well, the early church do it. And I'm going to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because it's so bonkers. If you turn to Acts chapter 5, and we're just going to look at the first few verses. And I feel that God wants to almost prophetically bring this to you as a church. Verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multiples of both men and women. So they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those that were afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Isn't that amazing? You know, when Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to do greater things than I, here is an example of it. Here are the apostles. They've come out of the upper room. I love the fact the first thing the Spirit does, by the way, when he falls on the early church is he takes them out of the upper room. Their place of safety, their secure place, he takes them out of there. And I almost feel that the part of the last year for you, as, last few years for you as a church has been God taking you out of your place of security, out of your safety, out of your upper room, into what God has got for you. And they come out. And you see these incredible just signs and wonders. People are terrified because they know God is with them. Absolutely terrified. They know the presence of God is there. They, they don't want to join, but they can't help but join. You get this feeling of, I don't want to go near them, but I can't not be near them. It kind of feels a bit like Jesus' ministry, doesn't it? Wherever Jesus went, the crowds are a bit nervous of being around him, but I can't. I, I'm, I'm just want to follow him. I'm going to follow him into the wilderness. I haven't got any food, but I'm just going to keep following him because there's something about him. There's something of the power of God. And the first thing I want to say is this. How do we reach the communities that God's put us in? Pray for the miraculous. Pray for miracles. Pray that God will break in. Because it bypasses so many years of building relationship. Now, it's not at the expense of building relationship. Please don't hear that. Because we want to be there and love them and care for them and be there. But I tell you what, you see the miracles and it's something changes. I had a, a situation just before Christmas, I'd gone over to um, near Dresden to, to Carsten and Petra's church. And I went over with my friend Julian. And on the Thursday night, we did a, a prophetic evening with the church. And I've got to say, I'd never known Revelation quite like it. You know when there's a gig and there's a band playing and, on TV and they have to do it like, they say it's live, but there's a 30-second delay in case they swear or mention Brexit or something. They kind of have to do this delay. And, and actually, you are seeing things and thinking, I can't. I can't, I can't bring it yet. I've got to pastorally, how do I bring this without exposing someone? And it was astonishing and terrifying. 
Both of us came back. My wife, Liz, picked us from the airport and said, oh, did you have a good time? We go, oh, it was amazing. I've never known Revelation like it. It was just, it felt like it was open heaven. It was incredible. And she goes, oh, she said, last night our Eden team had a horrible, horrible night. So a load of the lads turned up and they were high. They were violent. They were threatening to burn stuff. They were just wild. And the team really struggled. And I heard myself saying, I'll go next week. I'll go next week. As if I could do anything. I'm hardly Bouncer Davis, am I? I'm hardly, you know, here he comes. They're going to behave when they have a look at me. Whoa, you know, I'm, like, I'm, hardly going, I'm hardly a threatening presence to be there. But I said, I'll go. And I went. And I was feeling, oh boy, back to youth work. <laughs> Just what I wanted. And I'm there with my little badge, Eden Helper. And these lads came in. Now, I know the lads quite well. And they come in. First one is, what are you doing here? I say, I'm here because of you. <laughs> and, and they start, and they're high, and they start messing around. And there's that moment where you think, this is about to get to the point, do we call the police? And I suddenly felt this grieving in my spirit. Why was it last week... I was with a load of Christians and God was speaking and hear these lads desperately near the voice of God and I've got nothing. And I felt really stupid, actually. And then I felt God say, well, have a go. And that moment you think, no, I don't want to have a go, but I did. I said to the three ringleaders, right, David, Josh, James, sit yourselves down there. God wants to speak to you. Oh, oh. Through me, he's going to speak to you. Oh, what, 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 what? And I'm thinking, oh God, please do something right now. Otherwise, this is going to be the worst night ever. And I turn to one of them and say, suddenly say, look, oh, you come from a traveler's family and you're the first generation to live in a house. Whoa, how do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know that? And I, and then I was like, well, God just revealed it. And then bang, bang, bang. And these kids get up and they run up to the mate and say, come over here, there's a fortune teller. And so, uh, so suddenly, uh, they're all being brought in. And I'm saying, no, no, I'm not a fortune teller. God's wanting to speak to you. And Heather, who leads our team, looked over and her, in her words, she said this. She saw these really hard cool-looking lads just with a mouth. And, said, and she looked at me, and I looked like I was about to burst into tears. And the truth was, I was. Because suddenly I felt God's heart for these kids. These kids who are just expelled, 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 got rid of, got rid of, got rid of, got rid of, pass on to someone else, pass on to someone else. God's saying, no, I want to speak to them. I want to speak to them. If we pray for the miraculous and the miraculous turns up, it bypasses years. Because <laughs> suddenly these kids have been totally different ever since. And they come in and they give report backs on the things that were said to them and how things have happened. And they come and they come and ask for advice. Say, what does God want to say to me now? And I keep saying, he wants to say he loves you and wants you to give his life to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's changed. We need to pray for the miraculous. I was over in Pulheim recently with a church near, Col- near Cologne. And I turned up and they suddenly said, oh yeah, tomorrow morning you're doing a, a training session on treasure hunting and taking us out onto the streets of Pulheim. Now you might say, oh, that sounds great. Apart from I've never been treasure hunting in my life. 
I didn't know what it was. I had to go online, look up treasure hunting, which is interesting. So I kind of you know, I found out lots of interesting stuff. I ring my daughter who has done it. She said, how, how do you do it? And she kind of gave me an idea. I thought, okay, it's just using your prophetic gift in, in the world. That's fine, I'll, I'll do this. So I kind of do it. I was really nervous. We kind of do this and you kind of, you've got to pray for a location, pray for a description and bits and pieces. And I got a location, a Vodafone shop opposite a cafe. Brilliant. I thought, that's really good. Wrote it down, shared it with everyone. I said, is there a Vodafone shop? Everyone don't know. And then there's a horrible moment where you sit there and think, I've just described Pontypris. <laughs> Pontypris got a Vodafone shop and a cafe. Oh, you know. And then this woman says, I've got this picture of a woman with a red berry. And someone else says, oh, I've got a picture of a woman on a, with a wheelchair, but not in the wheelchair. She's kind of leaning on the back of it. It's a bit odd. And then we go out. And we're walking along. And in that moment, you're thinking, there's not a Vodafone shop here. And then suddenly I spotted a Vodafone shop. And there was a cafe. And I was so excited. You know that moment? Look, I did hear God. There is a God. Hallelujah. He loves me. And I'm there all excited. I didn't notice the woman right in the front between the two with a red berry on her head. To which the German lady ran over very excited. And then the most incredible thing. This lady had just left hospital. She had shared a room with a Christian who had prayed for her every night. She had had an operation on her skull, which is why she was wearing this hat. She was on her way home from the hospital, thinking about this Christian who had been praying for her, and was thinking, is there a God? How would I ever know there was a God? When suddenly a mad... German lady runs up and says, Vodafone shop, cafe, you're God's treasure. <laughs> they lead her to Christ. She's part of the church. Supernatural breaking. Pray for the supernatural breaking. Pray for the miraculous. It's a day of God's spirit moving. We need to be spirit-filled witnesses. We need to be people full of the spirit doing the business. But here's the other bit. The story goes on. Verse 17. The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is party of Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they said, um, a bit embarrassing. <laughs> They're not there. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what could have come about. And someone came and told them, um, <laughs> look, those men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went out and brought them in. And by force, they were, not, by, not by force, they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in the name that yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. This is amazing. They were jealous. 
not for a religious reason. They're jealous that the apostles are having all the popularity. They're jealous of what people are saying about the apostles. They're jealous of the presence of God. They're jealous. And I tell you what, one of the biggest dangers sometimes as those who walk with God is we can become jealous of other Christians. You suddenly hear this church, oh, they're seeing this and this. You're thinking, oh, that's great, what about us? But we could get jealous. They got jealous. But what's amazing about the apostles is they carried the presence of God with humility. They were humble. They were wanting the best for everyone at their own expense. They had a disciple. (laughs) They had someone who discipled them. Jesus carried the presence of God with such humility as one who knew he was loved by the Father. You're coming into days where you need to pray that as you see the presence of God more and more amongst you, as you know him working, that you carry it with humility. That you carry his presence knowing we want to bring honor to his name, not to ours. It's never about us. It's never about new frontiers or catalyst or whatever label it is. It's about the bride of Christ and him being glorified so that one day he'll look at the church and say, "Gosh, she's beautiful and returning. It's about the bigger picture. And if we get stuck in our own little world, we become so arrogant. We become so arrogant. We're it. No, you're not. He is. He is. And do you know what? He loves the bride more than just a little element of it. He loves his church. He so loves it that sometimes God comes and says, I'm opening your picture so much bigger so you can carry the presence of God with humility. The priests got jealous because it was all about their little world. The apostles said, it's the world. It's his glory. So we carry it for him. Pray that as his presence comes, you will be spirit-filled witnesses who carry the power of God with such beautiful humility. Have you ever noticed when someone tries to take ownership of that which God is doing, they fall? Have you ever noticed how when someone tries to take ownership, this is mine, God says, no, it's not, and it all goes pear-shaped. If we carry his presence of humility and keep pushing people to him, it's for him. Look, I'm not here for my name. I'm here for his. If we carry that, oh, do you know what? He's just going to pour out more and more of his spirit upon us. He's going to trust us more and more with what he's got. The more we carry his presence of humility, the more he will give to us. The disciples, this incredible story. I love this story. It's so bonkers. The priests are jealous. They throw them in jail. An angel comes in the middle of the night and says, out you come. And they say, oh, great. They're out. What are we going to do? Let's go hiding. And he says, go into the temple. What? Go into the temple. You know the place you were arrested? Go back. And so they go back. That's humility. Carrying the presence of God is this. I'll do what God says. This makes no sense. I've just been arrested for telling people about Jesus Christ. I was put in prison. An angel set me free. Woo! Let's go. We've got the whole world to go. No, go back to the temple. What? And then you have this wonderful situation where you've got the the priests and the Sadducees and they're all there fired up and angry and all burning with their rage. Bring them over. Get them out of the prison. 
and the guard has to come and say, oh, really sorry. They're not there. What? They're not there? Where are they? Oh, they're out there telling people about Jesus. <laughs> what humility. They just did what God told them to do. Faithful together, doing what God gave them to do. And the last thing's this. They are dragged in front of the priests. And they're ordered, don't you do this. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. And ultimately, they are beaten black and blue. And they leave full of, joy, full of rejoicing because they suffered for the name of Jesus. The last thing is this. They carried the presence of God with sacrificial courage. Pray for sacrificial courage. Courage that sometimes costs you. Courage that maybe means you end up going on a financial adventure that you never planned on going on. Like buying a building in the center of a city and saying, what are we doing this for? God told us, sacrificial courage. And can I just say this to you as a church? You have been amazing. You have been an example in your giving and your sacrificial giving to all of us. You have been superb. Well done, good and faithful servants. But there's other times, aren't there, where sacrificial courage is sometimes when someone says, what did you do Sunday morning? I went to church. And you feel an idiot. I always have this when people ask me, what do you do for a living? You know, I kind of think, I've got to come up with a clever idea other than I'm a church leader. You know, because nearly the next question, no, seriously, what do you do for a living? No, I, I am a church leader. Really? You? Yeah, what's wrong with me? You know, kind of, but, but there's that moment, ah, we suffer, we, we have the embarrassment. But you know what? I believe there's a day coming where because of our love and our confidence in the love of the Father, because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, because we're on witnessing, because we're seeing the miraculous, because we are you know, breaking through and carrying his presence with humility, will also be moments where we're going to need to be gutsy as well. Gutsy with truth, gutsy with love. Knowing how to show love to a community that has no concept of who it is. And actually, as soon as you bring definition, you're going to be in trouble. It takes guts, it takes courage. Whether financial courage, whether time courage, whether humiliation that you're going to go through, whether you're going to be laughed at, let's prepare to live God's way, even if it's at personal costs, even if it's persecution. And so I just want to end with this for you, really. Spiritful mission is done by spiritful witnesses. Those who know who they are in the Father know what Christ has done for them, know how they're now pleasing to the Father because of Christ, who know because of Christ's example we can be filled with the Holy Spirit right now and because we've been given a mission to do, who are people who are praying for the miraculous, praying for humility and praying for sacrificial courage. And the great joy is this, people will be scared to join you and yet daily people will be added. How do we reach the somewheres? Do the stuff. Do the stuff and keep going for it. Keep going for it. 
Keep looking for the miraculous. Keep looking for the humility to carry his presence. And keep having that sacrificial courage that sometimes says, this doesn't make sense, but we believe God. Can we stand, please? If everyone just, just close your eyes. If you actually this morning need to hear the Father say he loves you, do you want to just lift your hands? Everyone just eyes shut. You know, actually, I just need to know the Father is pleased with me, that I am loved. Holy Spirit, I pray right now. Right across this room, Holy Spirit, you just come and whisper into our soul, we are loved by the Father because we are in Christ. We are loved by the Father because we're in Christ and we have been added into family. Holy Spirit, I just pray, just come right now, right across this room, secure us in that place. If you, just very simple, I want to actually, I'm going to pray this over you as a church now. Lord, I love this church. Father, I thank you for the call of God on every member of it. Thank you, Lord, that more and more now you're speaking into community rather than just the individuals. Because community is your purpose. And Lord, I want to pray for this community to spill out into all the communities around Worcester. I pray, Father, they will go seeing miraculous signs and wonders. I pray, Father, that there would be such an infilling of the Spirit that wherever they go, they will see the miraculous. They will go for it. They will go with an expectation, God is going to move here. Lord, I want to pray, Father, that they will be renowned for their humility and the way they bless many. I want to pray, Father, that there won't be that, hey, this is for our name, look at us. But there'll be, this is for everyone. This is for his kingdom. This is for his name to be glorified. And Lord, I want to pray, Father, for courage. God-given sacrificial courage that will keep stepping out of the boat and keep going for it and keep going for it. Even when they fall flat on their face, they'll get up and say, well, let's do that again. Lord, I want to pray. Father, this city will be changed because this community changes a community that changes a town, that changes a city that changes a nation. In your awesome name. Amen.